Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well here in the Shire. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Enjoying a bit of sunshine here in the UK, hoping that heat wave of 30 plus degrees doesn't come back anytime soon. Yeah, that was not pleasant in my shed. Yeah, we're not, we're not built for it in this country, are we? we? Anything over 22, we start complaining about the heat. I'm happy. As long as the weather's tidy, I'm, I'm happy with it. it. It's been all right today. It's not too bad. I can live with it. Anyway, I think we should dive straight into Wake From Sleep, episode 22, for the 20th of June, 2022. Let's do it. So follow up, I think there's a few bits with me. So first up on my list was watch some iPad desktop apps videos on the developers conference. That was from Apple's WWDC. I've watched a bunch of them. It was quite good. It was it didn't learn a lot, if I'm honest, unless you wanted the code snippets. But basically, Apple are now doing a bunch of work to do what they call desktop class apps on your iPad. So you can have three different types of navigation bar. You can have like a browser nav where you haven't got much in it. You can do an editor nav or like a file explorer kind of app, if, you, if that makes sense, where you have different tool buttons and you've got different drop-down menus. If, if you're like editing a document, you can have a drop-down menu behind the title of the document. It all look quite good. You can rearrange the icons, but they're clearly doing a lot of work to try and encourage that next tier of app. I guess we haven't really had on the iPad. We got it to a degree like with Office, but I think they really try to encourage people to make your iPad and your Mac app the same. So it does look quite good what they're doing and you should be able to share the code between both platforms. So you build in Swift UI and you run it against a Mac or an iPad and you can share a lot of the same elements. So it looked really good. And then they've also done, like if you're using a text view, so a box where you can edit text, you get like find and replace for free, like the Apple one, and it will just work kind of thing. And they've done loads of work, like on right-click menus. What I don't think I'd appreciate is if you push and hold, you get one type of menu for your finger. And if you right-click with the mouse, you get the same elements, but reorganized and with the icons next to them and stuff. So I thought it was really good. The videos were really good. And some of them are like 15 minutes long. They don't need to be an hour. They, you know, they did short sessions and some are a bit longer. It's quite nice that the presenters aren't trying to hit an arbitrary time. So they're all the same length. So interesting videos, quite techy in places, but... I think it's showing that Apple are really trying hard to get the iPad to where it needs to be. And it feels like they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, that was my observation as well, is these videos are, are just what they need to be. Whereas, you know, I often felt there was padding or you got particularly nervous presenters because they're out there on a stage full of people. So being able to do it in an environment they're comfortable, they're a bit more practiced maybe, it, it does make a difference. It makes them a bit more comprehensible. Although I think, as with you, the level of tech goes up quite quickly. Their sort of expectations of your understanding of Swift is far beyond mine in many cases. And I mean, obviously you need to know people who can do that, but if, if you're trying to bring new developers on board by showing them these videos, I'm not always sure it's the best way or just my understanding of the fundamentals of the language aren't good enough. Yeah, I'm not sure either of us have got the fundamentals, sadly. We're probably trying to use what we learned even 20 years ago because we've not kept up with it. Yeah, those computer science degrees are, are working out well for us, aren't they? Yeah, br brilliant. Okay, there's a slight correction. I think we see, we got the name of this show wrong last week. We called it the Undeclared Battle or something like that, and it's not, is it? No, it's not. We got the name wrong and we got the time wrong when it was coming out. I, I was told it was coming out last weekend. It didn't. I believe it's coming out next week. So it's the Undeclared War on Channel 4, which is about a cyber attack. So not out yet, but we'll report back once it airs. Excellent. That's we can we can dispense with that and move on then. Apex Legends on the iPad then with the Nintendo controller. How did that go? So downloaded Apex Legend. Did not love that you download the app and you go in the app and it downloads loads more data. And then paired my Nintendo Nintendo Pro Control, which paired really quickly, then just didn't really seem to work. So I'm not sure it's because I'm running the beta. So I'm going to wait for beta two to come out and then do that piece of homework again. But the Pro Control just didn't seem to work. 
Fair enough. I mean, I would say I actually didn't mind what it did with it when it was downloading things. When I bought Civilization VI for the iPad back in the day, you got a very small download and then you got an epic many, many, many gigabytes worth of download. Whereas this, it only downloaded the basic Battle Royale map. And if you wanted all the Team Deathmatch stuff, then you could download that separately. So I quite like the way they, they gave you pretty much just the essentials of the game to get on. And then if you chose to do the rest of it, you could. But it sounds like more of an issue was the iPad, the Nintendo controller or the iPad. Yeah, no, definitely was the controller. And I get why they do the stage download piece. Like my son, who's maxing out his 32 gig iPad, it would make sense for somebody like him. I big regret I should have bought bigger iPads for him. But you live and you learn. You do. I, I look at my iPad Pro, my 2018 iPad Pro, which we're all going to touch on a little bit later when we get to all the cent- not center stage, front stage, what's it called? Stage manager. Stage manager. Stage manager drama. That's not big enough. It's very, very quickly filled up. So yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah well, a device you can't expand the storage on. You're, you're going to suffer unless you get the bigger storage later on, which Apple really charge you for, but it's a lesson we've learned. It's hard to know how much your kid's going to use an iPad, though. Um, little did I know they're going to play a lot of games, which I don't do on my iPad, per se. Yeah, well, it's not just that. If you put a bit of media to go on holiday on them and they fill up pretty quickly, or you download some Netflix to watch on the train, you know, all those things all take up storage. So it's not about pictures anymore which is my iphone's got a huge amount of storage i don't use but my ipads where i'm where i'm likely to use these things that's that's a it's a bit of a bitter lesson to learn really yeah agreed i bought 256 gig in my iphone regretted it because i barely touched it whereas my ipad i do have a terabyte in there um, because we get the more ram i don't use half of it but i do need a half a terabyte version i've, I've worked that much out yeah you got it it's not cheap for a terabyte in your ipad though Anyway, moving on, I've got a little bit of beta experiences to feedback, having been uh, been living in this world for over, well, two weeks now, isn't it? It's two weeks since WWDC. So I've got various bits of feedback, which I'll give in no particular order, and if you've got some, I'm sure you can add to it. A very positive thing first, the continuity camera with my iPhone is amazing. It works in Teams, it works in Zoom, it works in FaceTime. My phone gives a little ping on it comes, and I look a lot better than on the webcam I look at, that I'm onto you now. It does a great job of filtering out backgrounds. I figured out how to do the desktop view thing, as well which is quite good where it looks straight down from where you are so you can see the desk in front of you not sure what use it is but it works you can change to that camera and should you choose to display it really impressed with it that's surely for streamers isn't it you know you're building a keyboard and you want to show your face and what you're building or you're doing something on your desk that's what that's for that's what it's for camera yeah but you can need something like OBS or one of these more demanding streaming platforms to do it because like Zoom and Teams don't allow you to have multi-camera support on, on your normal video conference. So if you're using OBS, which I have used for work when I'm recording particular presentations and speakers doing things and maybe something on a screen and you want to do picture in picture, it gives you a lot more flexibility. So it absolutely makes sense in that kind of environment to make use of all the cameras on the iPhone. So very good and quite impressed with it. Yeah, I, I sadly don't think it's for me, but yeah, it does look good. I wish the iPad would support it. Why, why not? But then I guess the cameras in the iPad are good enough. Yeah, they're getting better. So my second bit of feedback was on macOS, and I've got a couple more on that as well. But I have discovered the notification center. So if you get a notification in Slack or Teams or a calendar reminder or something, it will beach ball over the notification every single time, which isn't great. It doesn't stop the OS. Relaunching the Finder makes no difference. It just sits there beach balling and eventually presents you with a modal to sort of dismiss the alert. And then it will go away, but it just sits there beach balling. It's it's annoying to have it always in your face, really. Odd, because it didn't seem like they'd done anything to notifications in macOS, but there you go. Yeah, a bit of an odd one. They need to sort out a notification center. As an aside, the notification center is useless on the Mac, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that. 
Yeah. I discovered this morning when I went to airdrop myself a file from my phone to my Mac at work that airdrop didn't work. It just sat there thinking about it with the dialogue up and wouldn't push over. So that was another one. And then I discovered two apps don't work. One is my HSBC banking app, which thankfully I don't use that much. And it broke in the last beta as well, actually. They're obviously not good at dealing with updates to operating system and a couple of the other sort of finance apps. So maybe they're just a bit more careful about what OSs they support in case you're trying to do something dodgy with banking. But it's my other two banking apps work fine. Yeah, I've seen that with banks before where I think they're trying to stop newer versions in case you're trying to do something non-legitimate, I guess. Annoyingly, my nationwide app is just a dirty web view. It's horrible. It's oh, I hate it so much, but I like nationwide as a bank, but their app is horrific. I've had no issues with apps, really. I did read somewhere that Microsoft Teams doesn't work with iPad. I find it does work, but occasionally you need to force quit and go back in. I found a few little bugs. I can only, I've never seen the black screen so much, you know, when it does like a cheeky reboot and just gives you a spinner very briefly. I've had quite a lot of that on the iPad. I've had no showstoppers. I've just had lots of little annoyances. I'm waiting for beta too, because I love everything they're doing. I just want want to get to the next couple of beers and then really enjoy it hopefully so i'm hopeful that we're gonna get another beer this week because normally it come every couple of weeks but we see because it's bank holiday in america today it's, it's kind of a funny bank holiday it's obviously one that's it's juneteenth in america today which is obviously should be supported for all the good causes that are behind that and the reason that juneteenth should be supported i did see elon musk saying of course you can take juneteenth off but then the small print but we're not going to give you any money if you do so we're not gonna, it's not a paid bank holiday so that's that's really not being in the spirit of things at all I don't think I could ever work for Elon Musk. It's a new bank holiday, though, that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, approved. I don't know what the terminology would be for approving a bank holiday, but that's what he did last year. So, I mean, it only came into existence this time a year ago. So it's, it's relatively new in the scheme of things. Yeah, Emancipation Day or Juneteenth. So, you know, well to be supported. Yep, excellent. Good. I think that's probably it for follow-up, unless you've got something else in the betas you want to share. No, no, I just love it all. I really just... Like I say, want to get to the next, next round now so we can hopefully get some improvements. But I'm assuming these beers got locked in. I'm assuming these beers got locked in I don't know, quite a few weeks before WWDC. So I'm hoping there's going to be some good stuff coming because if they got locked in, say, two weeks before WWDC and then right now two weeks afterwards, you know, there should be like a month's worth of updates coming. So I'm hoping we're going to see the good stuff. Yep, fair enough. Good. Okay, that'll do us for follow-up. And surprisingly this week, we've got nothing in rumours. It's fairly quiet for rumours, but we've got plenty of news. So do you want to kick us off about the Battery Gate, the UK part of this saga? I know not a lot about the Battery Gate saga. I think you put this in the show notes, but my understanding here was if, if you bought an iPhone from many years ago, you could potentially be in line to get a payout, which was my understanding. Is this just for the UK or is this global? There was one already in America. So they lost a civil case in America where they were saying Apple was intentionally throttling batteries, uh, performance because of batteries, because of an update to one of the OSs back in the day. So they lost that, which was for some huge amount of money. It was hundreds of millions of dollars in America. Anyway, the case has come up in, in the UK now, and it relates to iPhone 6 and other models. And the, the allegation is the company misled users over an upgrade that said it would enhance performance, but in fact, it slowed phones down. And the terminology was a bit strange for it, but the, the, at the moment, there's damages of £768 million to be paid for 25 million UK iPhone users. So it's a big case. It's £768 million is a bit more than the €50 million Euros we were talking about before. Just interesting. It's in appeal. You know, Having lost the case in America, I suspect the UK will probably just follow in the same sort of way. What that will mean, I don't know if it's 20 quid in, in the check, in the post to those of us who may have had iPhone 6s at that point, but yeah, interesting. Apparently, it affects iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S, 6S Plus, SE, 7, 7 Plus, 8, 8 Plus, iPhone 10. I think I had about three of those models, but maybe even four. 
but how would you prove that you own that phone that you know all those years ago i, I don't know how you would even go around staking your claim I think if you were to go back and look through your database of Apple products, like, I don't know about you, but if you, if you go to Find My, I have the most amazing list of products that show up in there going back, you know, as far as, well, for a very long time. I delete mine because I usually sell them and you have to delete them. Uh, and, but the chances are in your email, you might have the, you know, the shipping notification or something for the device that you bought from Apple back in the day. I delete quite a lot of email. What's the point in deleting emails? You've got almost unlimited storage for email, so I, 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 I'm not with you there. <laughs> I lead a very minimal life. You just stick it in the archive. You never know when you might need it. It's like a, it's like a digital loft for you to just jam stuff in. Man, that might be a good time to tell you about my email policy at work. So at work, <laughs> we only get emails kept for two years maximum, and they automatically get deleted as soon as they hit the two-year date. So I've just got very used to the email just disappearing after a period of time. See, that wouldn't work in, ac- in academia, because if you think some journal publications can take two, three, four, five years, you know, to actually get through the peer review process and get out. If you started deleting all the, all the emails from the beginning of that process, you'd have all, all very upset academics. Yeah, no, no, I get it. It's not probably, but what they're trying to do at work is encourage people, save down the emails that are relevant to a project, to the project file, folder, whatever you call it. Right, like your inbox shouldn't be, or your archive box shouldn't be your storage for, for work. You know, because a lot of people we're working on shared products, shared projects, catalogs. You know, whatever it may be, save it down so it's accessible to everybody on the team, not just you and your mailbox. Which I kind of get, I, and I've got used to it. It's I, not an IT policy, by the way. It's just a company policy. I wonder if we should have a debate about this at some point. That might make a main show. But but that's got absolutely nothing to do with Apple uh, getting a battery lawsuit in the UK. So I think we can swiftly move on along from that. The next one yeah, is okay. Fair point. definitely your story. Well, it's related more to you because it's an, an iPad one. And that's M1 gate, as, as I think you've put in the, in the in the show notes here. Everything's a gate. Well, I just put M1 gate in there a bit tongue-in-cheek, but... I don't know where I stand on this, if I'm honest. So Apple came out and said, right, these new stage manager features for iPadOS, you need an M1 to do it, and you need an M1 to drive an external display. And then it feels like there's been quite an outpouring of people on Twitter and I guess other social media going, I don't think this is fair. They should support the older iPads or it's technically doesn't make sense. Apple have tried to explain why they must have an M1. And even that's been a bit hand-wavy, especially when the, I think it's the M1 on the iPad Air 5 that's got lower storage, 64 gig storage, doesn't have the fancy speed that the other models have. And so um, part of me thinks to the non-M1 owners, look, you bought your 2018 iPad four years ago. It does loads more now than it did when you got it. This is just the cost. If you want the latest and greatest, you, you're going to need an M1 iPad, which, you know, if you went and got an Air, is significantly cheaper than buying a pro and i think that's that's pretty good and i don't want apple to spend loads of engineering time making it work on non m1 ipads when i want them to make it work really well on the m1 and then part of me is like well, maybe they should just allow it to work but maybe there's some caveats around how how it would work so i can kind of argue both sides but you and i think you've told me this before you should buy a device for what it can do today not what it might do tomorrow and so i think i've come down on it apple have said should only use an M1 and off you go. And there was a lot of noise last year about why have we got an M1 in the iPad? Where, where, what's, you know, where's the next shoe to drop? And the shoe's now dropped and people are now going, oh, well, why can't it work on non-M1 iPads? So I just feel like, I feel a bit sorry for Apple. I think they've done a really good feature and I feel for the engineers on it. They've probably worked really hard and now they're just getting loads of grief because it doesn't work on an older kit. 
I just want them to finish polishing it, make it work really well on the M1. And then my view is if you've got time after that, you can then look at worrying about a couple of other iPad models would be my view. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm torn on it. I, I don't believe the hardware on older iPads isn't good enough to run this in some way. And I'm not saying there couldn't be limitations. So, you know, if you've got a, a six-year-old iPad mini, the chances are it's not going to be good enough to do this. You can maybe run two groups of windows together or something like that. You certainly wouldn't expect it perhaps to plug in an external display and get that kind of, you know, uh, performance that you get on an M1 iPad Pro. I'm, I, I understand that completely. And what you said about it being the device I bought four years ago in my iPad Pro, I didn't buy it with the expectation it was going to have this. However, I did expect it to remain relatively relevant because that is what Apple sells you with what they do, that you've got a product that's pretty much good enough for at least five years, is our expectations. The phones kind of last that long. The computers kind of last that long. They do get the updates. Maybe not the new hotness with the greatest camera or with a hardware-specific thing. But I think... And I also get that it would be hard to do, to explain the differences. Oh, you can run this one on the thing, but this one with an external display, and this one you can only have two thing, two two stage manager app, group, application groups running. I think, but I think you should give the consumers the option at that point. So I am a bit torn about it. Yeah, I get it, but you still get to run iPad OS sixteen and all the other hotness. You just don't get this one feature, which is the multitasking pro feature. If you're really into it you're probably going to have an M1 iPad anyway. You are, but again, I can do most of this kind of now with my existing iPad. I can do slide-overs and pop-overs and run apps side-by-side, side. and in fact, that runs all the way back to a long way. So I just feel it's almost an artificial constraint, and I'm, I'm not disbelieving Apple that the the you know the experience of using up on a lesser-powered iPad might not be as good, and it might need optimizing, and it might need, they might need to spend engineering time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I am caught. It does feel a bit... Grinchy, you know, to, to offer this to one thing because hand on heart, they want to sell you new iPads. If you look at all the product lines going up, when we did the product, you know, the, the Apple returns a couple of shows ago, all those lines were going up and iPad wasn't. So this is a clear blue water to differentiate something new in new iPads and a reason to get one. And I get, but at the end of the day, they're a company, they're there to make money. So I'm slightly sympathetic to it, but I think we just expect a little bit better. If you know what I mean? Is that I think we just feel a little bit robbed. That might be the, the best way of putting it. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I'm sure if I didn't have a very expensive M1 iPad, I might feel the same, but I guess I'm lucky I'm in that camp. But I think it's a great feature. I really want them to continue engineering it. And like I say, I'd be happy if they can make it support older iPads, but I don't want it to be at the detriment of finishing it on the M1 iPads because you've got to start somewhere with this feature. Even if they said, look, we hear you, we see what we can do for 16.2. I think that might be a good good compromise, but let's finish on the feature. What you don't want to do is this carries on in beta forever. Yeah, I, I get. I think it's a, it's a fair enough comment to maybe they'll build it in down the line, but I, I don't see why they would really. I think if you stick your flag in the sand for the M1, you come up with some better justifications as to why it doesn't work on older iPads, even though the code seems to be there for it to run on some of them. And, and when you get people like Steve Trout and Smith have been digging away in the betas to see what's available there. And there are flags to enable it on older iPads. So I, I suspect marketing and engineering probably had a fight about this and marketing maybe won in this particular case. 
And I don't doubt there are hardware, sorry, there are, yeah, there are hardware limiting features to it. Maybe your cache isn't fast enough, or you know, you need a certain amount of L2 RAM or whatever the particular technical issue might be. But I, I, I'm with you, let's watch and see. And I think the point you made a minute ago about if you are a very pro iPad user and you're looking for these kind of features, the chances are you've already got the new hotness because you care about it. So, yeah, and for me, the M1 iPad was a no brainer because. I could get so much more RAM in it, which meant that when I'm flipping between all my apps, even though I couldn't have them all on the screen at the same time, they were staying in memory and it just made the whole experience a lot smoother. So like I say, if you're really, if you're really an iPad person, you're probably already on the M1 bandwagon. Do you remember back in the day, I'm pretty sure it was on the first iPhone when they added more than one browser tab and it would pretend to keep that app in background memory and it would checkerboard in the background or a screenshot effectively of what we'd been looking at previously while it waited to reload? Maybe we want that on the iPad now. You never know. I mean, Apple have demonstrated they can do some really good stuff around the limitations of the hardware to make it feel, you know, like like it's doing more than what it is or it's holding more in memory. Like when you used to launch an app, you have to put a loading image on and a lot of the loading images were just screenshots of the app with no data in it so that it looked like it loaded all the elements, but actually was just a static screen grab on the loading screen and then it populated your data kind of thing. There's loads that can be done and they've used lots of tricks in the past. So I dare say they've got the engineering talent to do it. I just, like I said, I want to make sure they get it right for what they've what they've promised to deliver and i do feel for the engineers they've done all the work because it is quite a feat of what they've done yep all good and at the end of the day as we talked about last week i'm just glad to see they're trying to do something with ipad os and sort of push it along and make it more of a, a desktop class operating system so that's a good thing so and it's awesome <laughs> Not so much on the Mac, but I'll take your word for it. So the next piece of news that's come out is around iMessage and some of the new features that Apple have put in, which again, we talked about last week. And these are the ability to mark messages unread, to be able to edit messages once you've sent them, and then delete messages. And they had put a protection in place, a protection of sorts in place. You only have 15 minutes once you send a message to be able to delete it. And then it's marked as something being deleted. And Apple have received a bit of flack about this time period between it being deleted. So for victims of sexual abuse or harassment, they could be sent one of these messages, have it deleted, and then they've got no record of the abuser having sent it to them in the first place. So I, I, again, if you're in this kind of situation, I'm sure that is massively psychologically damaging and harmful and all the rest. And maybe there should be an option to say, no, you're not allowed to delete it. But this is surely isn't a new problem. All the other chat apps, your Telegrams, your WhatsApps, your Slack, your Teams, all allow you to edit and unsend messages. So the fact that Apple are getting this particular uh, amount of abuse for it seems a little bit harsh as if they implement it in a way where you know messages can be saved or whatever the workaround to do this. But I just thought it was a, a, an interesting story to bring up when you do introduce a technical feature like this that users have been asking for. You, there's the social implications of them as well. Yeah, I, don't, oh, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about any of this stuff. If I'm honest, I guess that's good in that. My life doesn't involve any of this, but it's a fair point. But I don't know, what does Facebook Messenger do? You know, and other platforms. I don't use any other messaging platforms. I use Teams and I use Messages. And Teams for me is largely work-orientated. Occasionally somebody might edit a message if they've typed something slightly wrong. But as you've seen when I message, I normally just put a little arrow in and go, oh, I'm making a correction because I missed a word out or I spelled a word wrong. So I'm quite transparent and I'm probably not clever enough to, oh, I think because I'm not used to having the edit button. So I kind of get it, but I've just not been in this situation. But I don't, I don't know what you could do on this. Well, you could screenshot. 
couldn't you? Let's face it. If you get a message like, in, if you are a victim of abuse, but whether you're going to be in the right mindset to do that, yeah, I, or well, I don't know. Whereas if if you come back two hours later and go, actually, do you know what? I'm in a better place. I'm going to deal with this. You can't gone. then go and screen grab it, and it's gone. So I kind of get it, but I don't know what the right or wrong answer is on this one. No, I think it's very difficult. If you, if somebody unless wants- unless it's down to the user and they go. I don't want to allow people to edit messages. Once you send it, you send it. Yeah, I, that's that's certainly an option. It's a, it's a technically possible thing, and you're right. I think, I mean, like Snapchat, for example, if you screenshot a Snapchat message, it tells the other user that, that you've taken a screenshot of it. Oh, okay. Because I didn't, they, didn't know that either. Because they don't. Because that's the point: is the messages disappear with Snapchat. So that's a good way of saying: if you send stuff to me, I'm going to keep a record of it. So little things like that could be built in as well. You know, to, to the platform where I have deleted it. Yeah, but I've got a record of it. You know, so and maybe you inform the user. You know, of those kinds of interactions because they do already. You know, edited, deleted. You, they're coming up in the message message uh, send as it goes now. So even if you were to show this to you know a law enforcement officer or something that they have been saying, look, they deleted it. They deleted it. At least you get some sort of record within that. But I agree, maybe there should be some sort of. I, I want to keep these. They should, you know, if they're deleted, that some sort of record must be kept somewhere on my phone, and it goes into a log or or something in these kinds of scenarios. Pissing up to the user, as you've just said, if you're not in the right frame of mind for it, if you haven't set it up already, you've got a chance of missing it. So it's 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 difficult, isn't it? But again, all social media platforms face this, and I suspect WhatsApp and Telegram and Snapchat probably get far more of it than will be used in Apple Messages. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what the right or wrong answer on this is. Like I said, maybe you just allow the users to choose where they want to allow senders to edit messages, and if the recipient doesn't, you can't do it. Kind of like now, if you text me on iOS 15, you can't modify it. So I think that'll do it for editing our messages. The next item we've got here is on the M2 MacBook Pro, not the MacBook Air, but the M2 MacBook Pro, which went on sale last Friday, I think. Does anybody care? No, nobody cares. I kind of agree with this. The only thing I'm interested in is how much better is the chip than it was last year. And I like that they've done the 35-watt dual charger thing you can get with it. So you can plug two USB-C devices in, which I think is good. But it's £67 in the UK to buy on its own. It's mental, and it's only 35 watts. You can go and you can buy an Anchor thing or or one of those other brands, reliable brands on Amazon, for about, well, 25 to 50 quid. And it'll give you 67-watt or 80-watt charging and four USB-C sockets on it. So it's a total rip. It's only 35 watts. It's not going to fast charge your device. It's it's not good enough. And in the UK, it's also a lot chunkier than its US cousin, which I don't get because they do do a UK 20-watt one. It's got the fold-out pins. Why couldn't they do the fold-out pins and do the 35-watt one as well? I just don't understand. It feels very swinging that particular device. You know, for two USB-C things, this is what they should have released when they released the the original USB-C chargers. And as you say, what, where are the folding pins? Not good enough. Agreed. Moving on. Yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd pick up on if you were to try and order an M2 MacBook Pro, and you shouldn't order an M2 MacBook Pro. Twenty eighth of June, you can get one. So that just shows how the lack of demand for it, considering it went on sale last Friday. It, this product shouldn't exist. It's awful. They, what they should have done was make an Air higher spec to hit the price point you know have a third default new air configuration that hit this price point that's what they should have done i I don't understand the thinking in this this product at all i mean why keep this form factor going when it doesn't have the magsafe when it doesn't have enough usb-c ports when it's got a touch bar when it's got so many issues with it i just do not understand this product 
No, agreed. Kill it off. Get move on. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're agreed. Well done. You can get an M2 MacBook Pro, but you shouldn't. And you can get a, US, a dual port US charger as well. And you shouldn't get that either because it's too expensive. Go on Amazon. Get the Anchor one. Done. Done. Moving on. USB-C iPhones. This is interesting. So we, we talked last week, I think, about the EU mandating that all new electronic communication devices, phones particularly, have to come with USB-C sockets. And now the US are talking about doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, no surprise here. I'm more interested in, can I get one without a USB-C port, please, and just have MagSafe? On a phone? Yeah, why not? MagSafe doesn't transfer data, I don't think. When do you plug yours in to transfer any data? I personally don't transfer any I, data, but I kind of like the idea of portless, Then I've got one less thing to collect lint. No, I don't know. <laughs> another, another pocket uh, no, no, So I need yet another type of connector because they're not going to make it the same one that's on the laptop. You know, uh, oh no, I mean the MagSafe that it already supports. I don't know if you ever used that. Well, I have used it. We've got it. Anna has it in her car. My daughter has it in her car, and we've got one other somewhere else. I can't think of the top of my head. And the magnet's not strong enough, so she twiddles along in her mini with her iPhone in a case, and she goes over a speed bump, and it falls off the MagSafe connector, and that's not good enough. Why are the magnets so so awful? I nearly said something else there. I'm so I get quite insensitive about this actually. I quite like, there's little features I like about MagSafe, like when you plug it into the case, it changes color to the case that's on there. That's quite nice. I'll, it's it's a reasonably fast charging standard once you spend the extra money to get the right connector and the right USB-C socket, you know, particularly in a car, PD USB-C connector for your cigarette lighter adapter. No, I disagree. <laughs> I'm all in on it, but I must confess, I've actually gone caseless in the last week and I'm loving it. Yeah, you've, that's a good job of changing the subject there. No, no, MagSafe only on the phone has no place. I think you need some sort of data connection. If, if I've got 512 gigs on my phone or a terabyte on my phone and I want to put a load of stuff on there, give me a connector. I can quickly put things on for my computer. Fair enough, not everybody does it, but if you've got that much storage, I think you need the ability to do it. But that's the other complaint, isn't it, with Lightning, is it's not fast enough. Yeah, They've never upgraded it, which is bizarre because they had, I think, like in an iPad or something. But they've never upgraded it in the phone, which seems bonkers to me, which is the primary recording device for a lot of people. Yeah, so give us USB-C in our phones and let's have a stage manager on our phones for external displays too, shall we? Why not? There's no reason we couldn't. Ooh, no, that, <laughs> that could be interesting. There you go. I've just sold the connector to you, haven't I? Then, then I wouldn't need my iPad. I could just literally just buy some, have a phone and buy some more, more studio displays. I like it. There you go. I've, that, 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 uh, MagSafe has gone away and we've, we've moved to a fully Thunderbolt future. One other story, unless we get something else on USB-C iPhones, other than it should happen and happen yesterday, as far as I'm concerned. It should happen. Less connectors has got to be better for everybody. Definitely. And if you must go wireless, MagSafe is better than Qi charging. It's a lot faster, but I think some of the Android standards for wireless charging are even faster again. So, you know, they've still got a bit of work to do there. Yeah, it's constantly moving, isn't it? It's still a very immature space at the moment, I think. Definitely. So the last story is on Apple Music, but not just Apple Music, all streaming audio services, so that includes Tidal and Spotify in the UK, certainly, are now beginning to lose subscribers. And in the story we've linked to in the show notes here, Apple Music and other streaming services lost over 1 million subscribers in the UK in the last quarter. That's quite a lot of people. That smells like a lot of people. Look, I'm not overly surprised, though. I mean, cost of living's going up. If you're struggling, I'm sorry, but some things are going to give, aren't they? I used to do the same with Netflix years ago. I would only get Netflix every other month or once every six months, watch a few things I wanted to watch, and then I'd cancel it again because I thought for my use, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And 
we are getting sort of death by a thousand cuts with subscription services at the moment. You know, you and I have talked before about we go for the all-in Apple Premier sort of package to get, and we get Apple Music as part of that. But Apple Music is between four ninety nine and fifteen ninety fourteen ninety nine, depending whether you're an individual user or a family. If you don't have it as part of that bundle, as is Spotify, as are most of the other things on the, on the list of of streaming subscription services that have gone from here. It's it's not insubstantial if you add it to your Netflix account and your you know your Disney Plus account and all the other bits and pieces that we're expected to subscribe to these days. Yeah, and I'm wondering though if people aren't commuting as much, are they listening to as much music? Like I, we listen to a lot of music in the car, we, you know, with the family. I use it all the time. My children use it on their iPads quite a, a lot more than I gave them credit for. I can be without it. I'm fully converted, and it, and I was a late switcher to streaming. I think I only joined Apple Music. I don't think I had Spotify beforehand. So I couldn't live without it, but I can understand why people are cutting back. It's interesting. There's a couple of the guys I work with at work who don't use a subscription service. What they do is they put on YouTube and put it in a tab off to one side and they just stream their music off YouTube as videos. They don't even bother with the, with the YouTube music app. They're quite happy to do that. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. And actually, recently, Amazon were doing a promo. They gave me £5 credit just to listen to a podcast. So are, are people being swayed into other cheaper forms with maybe adverts one of the interesting things i found about the story actually if you scroll down a little bit is sort of the market share that these services have within the uk and you know it seems that amazon music unlimited has 30 sorry in in, in britain has 29.4 percent of music subscription services in the uk which is the biggest thing next spotify with 22 percent then apple music with 12.4 percent youtube music with 2.4 percent so Apple Music is nowhere near the biggest player in this game in the UK, which surprises me slightly. I thought it would make a better showing than than it does. Well, I'm just amazed Amazon Music's so far up there for the UK. I had assumed, incorrectly, that Spotify would be number one, probably Apple Music number two, and then Amazon. But hey, what do I know? Yeah, Spotify's twice the market share of Spotify. Uh, Spotify's twice the market share of Apple Music. But it's what's going on in Australia? Spotify is 42% of the music share in Australia. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just where they've had market penetration or what have you, and it's just you know caught like wildfire. For example, it's it's I don't know. It's really odd, isn't it? It's not one clear leader anywhere. No, but it is quite telling. It's quite it's all over the radar. It is. It is quite telling that Apple Music is in the lower bracket for all the countries, even the USA. So I mean, that's got to be a source of concern for them because they have got quite a comprehensive offering and they spend a lot of money. Well, they seem to spend a lot of money advertising and you've got Apple One Radio and you've got all sorts of uh, products like that, spatial, spatial audio and other features built into it now. It doesn't really seem to be showing that much of a return for them. I do really like Apple Music. I have a couple of minor gripes with it. Uh, I generally on the whole like it. So I'm very happy to have it. And it's obviously all part of the Apple One piece. And it work- For me, it works really well. My children enjoy it. My one minor gripe with it, though, is there's a band in the UK called Space. And, and if you try and listen to Space... There's obviously another band called Space, and you just get a munge of both bands' albums. And one's a, one's like an indie band from back in the '90s here, and then the other one's like a, what was it like a le- like dance electric music? So it's very different. And it's just like why are those albums appearing up in their catalogue and vice versa? So it doesn't play nicely with names. There's the same problem with the band called The Enemy in the UK, and in other countries they called The Enemy UK. And again, some of their albums kind of munge together with others. That's my one real gripe with it. I have two complaints about Apple Music. One is I quite often click on the app and say, play this song, and it goes, you don't have a valid subscription for this service. And then I click on it again, and it might play it the second time. More often than not, it does. Of course, I've got a subscription to this service. You take a lot of money for me. How dare you? Spotify never did that. And then the second thing is both my children 
at least once every two weeks, tell me how dreadful it is compared to Spotify for the music matching capabilities and the playlist generation. So that's a hit against Apple Music. They need to sort that out. I don't often use the playlist piece unless I go play music I like, and that works really well for me. I generally like it. I'm happy, but then I've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I did try YouTube music for a little bit, and its playlist generation is amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think I got three months free as part of a trial, and I, I, I tried it for a while. But then it's not so good at being able to you know, store albums of your own music, at least when I tried it. It may have changed since. But then 2.4% market share in the UK, maybe they don't really care. But they're new to the space, aren't they? They're, they're trying to muscle their way in. Newish. I mean, they've moved around a lot. There was Google Music before. As is a typical Google product, they've changed the brand about four times in the last five years. So it's really hard to keep track of it. Yeah, not a big Google I'm subscriber of anything, if I'm honest. So, but they do keep renaming everything and it does my head in because I don't know. They need to just come up with a strategic plan and, and execute on it. Yeah, with the exception of advertising, email, and YouTube, they're they're not the most together consumer brands, certainly. Chromebook, I guess, has been around a while now. Whoever thought they should buy YouTube, though, deserves a medal. That yeah. was very, very well thought out and very well long, long-sighted is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Do you subscribe to YouTube? Nope. No. It's surprisingly, I don't either, but it's surprisingly expensive for just cutting the ads. ads I like YouTube. I don't watch it anywhere near as much as most people. I dive on there largely for product reviews every once in a while and a couple of factual videos every now and again, a few few people I'm interested in. But I watch very little YouTube if I'm I'm brutally honest. I've got enough other media to consume. I'm a big fan. I do like a bit of YouTube, but I'm not paying for it. Good. I think that'll do us for news and rumours, unless you'd one more thing to say. I was just going to say about cutting out the adverts. I do subscribe to 4+, which cuts out the adverts for £40 a year, and I am happy to pay it. Yeah, you've said that, and you've made me do it too. So that's yet another subscription service. Yeah, they're slowly getting us, dude. They are slowly getting us. And in media, uh, we should switch to media, actually, and I'm going to talk about another subscription service because it seems appropriate to do so. So moving on to media, media, and in the UK, in the next two days, is Paramount Plus is going to launch here. So here's yet another streaming subscription thing. It's about to come along from America. And Star Trek fan that I am, it's basically going to be the Star Trek channel. So the, the sort of media initiative from Warner, the own Star Trek, has been quite muddy over the last few years. You really get bits of it on Netflix, you have bits of it on Amazon Prime, and then a couple of the series started appearing on a channel called Pluto, which I'd never heard of. And then the most recent season, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is fantastic, couldn't get in the UK at all, so they've held it back for the launch of this Paramount Plus in the UK. So all your Star Trek in one place. There's going to be other stuff there too. I haven't paid any attention to it. But uh, yeah, just interesting that they're bringing that that brand together. I think Harry Potter, they may own the rights to Harry Potter as well, Paramount and Warner Brothers. So that will probably be the offer with presumably new media incoming, but yet another competitor in the market. I can't keep up with all these streaming services. I've got more streaming services now than I wish I had. I've got Disney Plus. I've got Netflix, which I get free as part of Sky. We've also got things like the iPlayer. I've told you about Channel 4. I've got Apple TV Plus. I'm getting cheesed off with it. And actually, I've now got Discovery Plus because, again, I get it for free with Sky. And I wanted to watch Snooker, but they had the Snooker on the Discovery Plus TV channel. But they didn't have it on the Discovery Plus streaming app, which I just found bizarre. Like, I, why can't they just do what the BBC do? Like, everybody should just follow iPlayer, in my view, because it just works so well. If it's on the TV, it's on, you know, it's on the streaming service and, it, and it's there for 30 days kind of thing. But not everybody seems to just follow that. Like, the BBC have shown you what to do. Just do it. So I find it very bizarre. But there you go. Discovery Plus, another one. But I, I don't know, outside of me wanting to watch the snooker, why I'd buy Discovery Plus. 
No, I, I'm with you that I've I've no desire to do so. I, I thought I'd mention it as part of our media tranche because you know it is important, and there will be people who watch these shows. If you ever was had a secret desire for a Halo TV show, you're going to be able to get that on there as well, which is an American thing. Do, do you know what? I think we had the sweet spot of what they used to call cord cutters. You know, get rid of cable or Sky, being able to stream everything in a couple of apps, and now we've come completely a 180 and gone back to having loads of streaming services to replace all your cord cutting. Yeah, it's just instead of lots of channels, now you've got you know lots of streaming services instead, and all of them are sort of again we're back to a death by a thousand cuts. Four ninety nine here, fourteen ninety nine there, and it's all just building up. It does add up in a time when cost of living is increasing. Yeah, some of these things are going to have to go. Not everybody's going to be able to keep all of them all the time. So whatever is important to you, and I got to say, I think most people default to Netflix and maybe Disney Plus these days. The, the rest of them, and Apple have got to keep an idea on this because they've got some quality shows, but they're not well known now. Particularly, you know, we've we've talked before about how do you access them, where do you advertise them, where do you see that advertising, and it's not really there. And we're going to talk about you know season three of For All Mankind in a minute, but yeah, they're they're going to have to be careful of this kind of thing. You know what we haven't included on here, though, and forgive me if we spoke about it last week, but Apple just announced they've got the rights to Major League Soccer in America, haven't they, for 10 years at the cost of $250 million, which is a drop in the ocean to them. So they are going to be getting more critical mass, I think, as time goes on. So it's going to be interesting. But clearly Apple are making some, they're still, still investing. So you know more about football than I do. I could not care less that Major League Soccer is coming to But I would say the same if it was the Premier League. So there was a long time that Americans didn't care in the least about our type of football as opposed to their. Is this this that big a deal? I've no idea. It's American Soccer League, I'm guessing. So I've no idea. If it was a premiership, I'd be more interested because my son enjoys that. And we largely get that on the Sky Channel that we have, but sometimes you need BT Sport and I'm not behind BT Sport as well. So I think it is a big deal in America and they've bought it, I think, for like 10 years and it's on some profit share. And like I say to Apple, it's only cost them 250 million, which if they were happy to buy, what, 50 million a month in the Dutch fines, this seems like a no-brainer for them. They could literally, they've got so much cash that they could just buy up all these things. So maybe Apple will, will stay in the game by critical mass. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it's presented. Maybe they'll do something different as they've done with the baseball. I, I will refuse. I might watch the intro to a soccer match. I'm not going to watch a soccer match because it's the dullest thing in the world, except possibly cricket to me. But yeah, okay, good. Interesting that they're sort of expanding that sport theme because we had talked about them potentially getting NFL and other sports. And there you go. They have something else there. Yeah, I'm never going to get rid of Disney Plus because I love Disney Plus. So it's one of my, my definite keepers. I could probably lose Netflix today and not be too upset by it. Um, so it's just not a big big one in our house. Prime's been quite good for us. We, we have watched quite a bit on Prime. Yeah, there's been the odd show on Prime that I have watched, but again, I think it's something, now that Bosch seems to have gone past its quality limit for me, which is a detective show set in Los Angeles, has gone onto this freebie thing, and we talked about that on the show previously as well, the quality level of that step down. If Star Trek's going somewhere else, then that's not on there. It only really leaves the boys on, on Amazon Prime that I'm that bothered about watching. It's interesting, isn't it, because each streaming platform needs to have enough properties to hook you and at some point they're not all going to have it are they it's not going to give so it's well, going to be interesting i don't know if i look around the mall and i had to pick a winner right now i think disney plus will be the winner for most people because if there is enough content on there between the pixar films the disney films the adult content the marvel content you know the star wars content there's, there's a bit of that to discuss as well that they have probably a n- more enough of the properties at the right sort of price at the moment what is it 6.99 7.99 i think I buy the annual one where you get like a month or two free. 
Yeah. So it feels like a no-brainer. And look, while we're talking about Disney Plus, I went and watched Lightyear at the weekend, the the new Pixar film. I loved it. I think you would enjoy it too. It's a film done by Pixar in space with some sci-fi. It's really good. I've read a few reviews of it since watching it. I read nothing before going in. And I'm really disappointed with the reviews because to me, it's what I expected Pixar to do after watching it. And so I think they've actually done a really good job of explaining why this film's in the... But, you know, tangentially related to the Toy Story universe, it, I thought they've done a really good job. They used a lot of the lines at the Toy Story film to link back into this this film, if that makes sense, into Lightyear. I generally thought it was really good. My kids enjoyed it. I was a bit nervous about taking the family because I thought I've heard a little bit of murmurings that it's not great. And I thought, is it going to be two hours of their lives wasted? But I thought it was amazing. But the reason I bring it up in relation to Disney Plus is I was searching earlier to go, actually, when will this come to Disney Plus? And they reckon about 90 days, like 60 to 90 days would have a cinema release window or exclusivity. And then it would come to Disney Plus. So you're talking like the in the UK, possibly the end of July, some point early August. So it's not actually that far away. It's, it's incredibly short, the exclusivity periods for a cinema. And... Would I have saved the 40-odd quid to go and watch it at an IMAX cinema to wait, you know, three months? I probably would have done it in hindsight, but I don't know. I, I did quite I do quite like the cinema. It was really good. And what I'd recommend everybody do is watch it and then go and watch Toy Story and just compare the quality, how far we've come with rendering. The textures were amazing. Like everything had a bit of patina on it where it had been used and stuff. It was just amazing when you compare it back to, what, 28 years ago when we had... Toy Story 1 and all the there weren't really textures everything was quite plain and and bland and and didn't have it didn't look like it ever been used if that makes sense it was a very pristine world that Andy and the toys lived in but loved it what an amazing film and it's basically Interstellar done by Pixar which I thought was awesome yeah and I've got issues with Interstellar I mean to be honest I was slightly surprised this was a film i when i saw the adverts for it i thought this was going to be a limited series on disney plus you know it's genuinely what i thought and when you said you were going to see it in the cinema i was like it's a film really why why have they done that then and then yeah i've seen some of the reviews for it as well well they're not very positive yours is the most positive review i think i've heard of it in fact and me, me and one guy on twitter who writes the avery twitter client he was also in the same place as me I just really enjoy it. It's, I don't know what people are expecting from but, Pixar. To me, is what I expected. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, Pixar certainly used to make very quality films, and I hadn't noticed that much of a drop-off from their quality. We've talked about this before, I think. Some of their recent stuff has been just as good as, as their earlier things. Luca uh, is my all-time favourite lockdown film. Yeah. Love that film. You've said that before, and I still haven't watched Turning Red. It's on the list. It's, I, I, I might uh, actually get a chance to do it in the next couple T- of weeks. Turning Red I enjoyed least, but my and I thought my kids were mixed on it, but actually they loved it. They've gone back and watched it two or three times since. Right, that's the marker of a good film. And I like the Toy Story universe, but... That, that, uh, I should like Lightyear, I guess. It's Pixar. I like some of the voice talent that's involved with it. The trailer, I thought, looked fine. I have no compunction to go to the cinema and see it. It's not like Top Gun Maverick, which I had to go and see. And and I think the box office takings of these films are sort of showing that sort of disparity between them. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, they're selling as like that big cinema experience, really. And I, like I say, I genuinely thought Lightyear was a TV show. Oh, I don't know. I kind of likened it a little bit to Top Gun afterwards. Was It had a light Top Gun. It had a bit of nostalgia in it for me. And I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I came out, I was transfixed for two hours. It's a long film, but 
I really enjoyed it. You may not, but I, I loved it. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If you enjoyed it, that's all that matters. And if you get a bit of media that you enjoy and you wholeheartedly, then it doesn't matter what other people think, really, does it? You know, it's quite nice when somebody else and you go, I like this, I love that, and talk about it. And you can do that with your family if they enjoyed it as much as you do. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I, but maybe that cynicism that the world now has compared to you know, is, is, is sort of part of the problem. Maybe people are expecting too much from it. Yeah, no, oh, it's Pixar, it's in the Toy Story universe. I thought it was really good, and they actually open it explaining how this links to Toy Story. I just th- thought it was stunning. Whilst you mentioned the Top Gun, it's an advert in the newspaper linked to Father's Day. For your top dad, take him to see Top Gun. I thought it was quite neat. <laughs> what, what advertising? Yeah, they know their market. Good. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I will, I will wait for it to come on the Disney Plus before I watch it, but I probably will. I, although I still haven't seen Toy Story 4, so. You haven't seen Toy Story 4? No, my youngest daughter went to watch it in the cinema and Keanu Reeves, I believe, is in it. And and she really, really likes Keanu Reeves. So that, this was the selling point for her, even though she liked first, the first three to- Toy Story films. And she said, Dad, that's one of the worst things I've ever seen. And it just put me off completely. And and she, I, you, look, you look stunned, Chris. She, she loved the first three Toy Story films. Keanu Reeves was in it. Like, this was everything, everything that she could have hoped the film to be. She was deeply unimpressed. I can't, well, A, I can't believe you haven't seen it. I can see how she may not be as impressed because, again, if it's got all your best elements in it, is it ever going to live up to expectation? Toy Story 4, though, is definitely worth watching. Even if you just watch the start with the rain, the amazing effects they've done, it just blew my mind. You're, you're worrying me that, it, that it's all about, the, the, you know, Lightyear and Toy Story 4, it's about the quality of the graphics and how far things have come. And you're not talking about, well, we are about Lightyear, but the story of it and what's sort of bringing you along. No, I loved the story on it. I thought it was really good. Both Toy Story 4 and like, yeah, I, they were both good Pixar films to me. And obviously, look, we know that Pixar have lost John Lasseter for obvious reasons because he's a bad, turns out he's actually a bad person, which is a shame because he's such a creative genius. But uh, I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed the story in both of them. Some of Pixar's finest work, but I do appreciate the hard work that goes into the graphics and the quality of animation just blew my mind i remember sitting in the cinema for both those films i think it was probably in the same same cinema actually for both of them and just blown away by how how good the visuals are the audio is obviously amazing but i really enjoyed the story in both of them yeah like yeah, isn't doing anything that a space film hasn't done before but it actually brought quite a lot of space films together for me into one and i don't know it just t- it ticked a huge amount of boxes for me loved it would if i wasn't with my family i would have gone back and watched it in the next screening Fair enough. Okay, I'm going to change the subject and get away from that. So a space thing that I've been thoroughly enjoying is Obi-Wan Kenobi. We're on the fifth episode of that on Disney+. Plus. Two space things, actually. The next thing's a space thing we're going to talk about, too. They're knocking it out of the park with us. And one theme I hadn't realised, how much of Obi-Wan Kenobi have you watched, if any, yet? I'm partway through three. Right. Episode three. It's very good. It is very good. But had you noticed that they're actually retelling in micro the story of all the Star Wars films up to that point? So the fifth one is effectively Empire Strikes Back. The first one, they're they're doing a really clever job of sort of callbacks to what happened in that film in that particular. So, you know, one is is the Phantom Menace, two is Attack of the Clones because there's a clone in it. All that kind of stuff they're actually bringing, and I just really appreciated that little detail. Yeah, I I I think it's stunning. Like again, it's 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 great to see they're doing something really positive in that space. That's probably my favorite era of of the Star Wars universe. I really like that sort of before the first film came out i loved rogue one so i, I think they did a good job you mcgregor's amazing in it to be fair so no it's good i just haven't fit in what we're going to cinema and the formula one being on i've watched enough tv this weekend 
Fair enough. Good. So I, as I recommend, still for everyone, Kenobi it stays good. Only one episode left. Amazing. It's gone. Oh, it's gone so fast. And then turning to our Apple TV Plus subscription, we've got the second episode of season three for all mankind. Are you caught up with this now? I may have had a little bit of a binge on this as well. So I have finished season two, which was very good, and I am partway into the first episode of season three. You're enjoying it, obviously, then, if you've got managed to Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm loving the space kick at the moment. Like I said, I went and watched Apollo 13 the other week just to sc- squeeze that in. But I've also got the film about Apollo 11. I don't know if you've ever seen that. You should watch it. It blows my mind. So they made a documentary about Apollo 11 using all original footage from the, the era when it when it launched. And it looks stunning in 4K. And it's hard to think that this is real footage it's no CGI. This has not been manipulated. And it's just amazing watching them launch Apollo 11. Just, it just does not look right that this rocket taking off from Florida and the quality of it. And people sat around at a time when we didn't have the computers we have today or the tech we have today. We launched this rocket into space. It's amazing. Yeah, that sounds good, actually. And, and I'm kind of on a kick at the, with that at the moment as well. I think for all mankind has sort of brought back to me how much I enjoy that e- that era in the world really you know the, the optimism in the in the 60s and anything was possible bit of a cold war stuff going on which sort of mirrors today to a certain extent but th- that optimism I think we've lost particularly in our politics and other things around the world so yeah it's it's an interesting time I, I agree and so the two things I was thinking about watching for mankind and, and a bit of the Apollo 11 and 13 films in that we did all that back in the 60s and then we've not really done much since. I do like For All Mankind's Take. It is a bit of a hard watch, given everything going on with Russia at the moment, I think. In, in season two, I haven't really seen much of season three yet, but it does make it quite hard. Of Actually, some of that is true, how Russia manipulate the media and so on and so forth, and what they're allowed to say or not do, and, and all of those sorts of things. But I love it. I'm loving all the space kick at the moment, but definitely your home, which should be to watch Apollo 11. All of, all of the space things. The cinematography is just, considering it is all archival footage, it's just amazing. Okay, I will make a little note. Good, okay, moving on. I think let's, we've done enough on media. Uh, let's, should we turn on to games? First story is yours on Uncharted 4, I think. Yeah, I was just dropping this in here. So I bought Uncharted 4, the PS5 remake, because it was two and they were like 20 quid for the Uncharted 4 and what I guess is 4.5. Really enjoyed playing it. Just wanted to say loved it. I mean, even my children like watching me play and then they... They also joined in and did some of the levels with me. Just a really good game. Very well done on the PS5, uplifted from the PS4. Just, yeah, it actually turned out to be a family game rather than just one that I played in the evening when they went to bed. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I've said before, I think the Uncharted games are excellent. I never really got on with the Tomb Raider games for whatever reason, but Uncharted just really grabbed me from the very first one onwards. I think it's it's a great show. It's well made. Naughty Dog make good games. The Last of Us is obviously another excellent game of theirs. I did try to start watching the Uncharted movie at the weekend, but I gave up after five minutes. Oh, I nearly picked it up just to watch with the kids because they saw the trailer when we saw Spider-Man, but your glowing review is good. I'm, I'm happy I didn't spend any money on it. Maybe I'm being unfair to it, but if you've played, I think it was Uncharted 2. I'm not giving anything away. It's in the first few, few minutes of the film. Uncharted 2, I think, where he comes out of the plane and he's hanging onto a box of packing crates and he's got to jump back along the packing crates to get into the plane. That's how the film starts. And I'm thinking, I've done this. I did this in the game. I don't want to watch this on the screen. I've, I actually lived this myself. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff didn't work so well for me. I I guess I can understand if you've played it. I did in the cinema when we were watching Lightyear, lean over to my son and go, oh, look, it's just like playing Uncharted. There's 
I can't remember what was happening on the screen, but something was happening where they had to do things in sequence or shoot something. And it just reminded me of playing Uncharted. Well, it's great. And it's great that your kids enjoy it too, because it is a worthwhile game. I'm glad they're enjoying it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, great. Excellent. Moving on. Moving on. So I've been playing some Steam demos on my gaming PC because we had the Steam Next event, which is they've got you know up and coming potential games for people to buy, and they released reasonably significant de- demos of them. And there were three of them that I thought I'd try. The first one is called Hellsinger, and it's your first person shooter. You're a demon. You're working way through hell. You got to kill some things. What makes it interesting is there's like a real heavy metal backing track to the whole thing that sort of goes along with like a stomping beat, and if you manage to time your strikes to hitting the beasties that you're meant to be killing all starts to ramp up a little bit you know you get bonus multipliers so you actually need to do it on the drum beat for whatever's going on and there's various ways you can keep it going if you're sort of traveling between things i just thought it was a really novel concept so even the crosshairs on your screen as you're sort of moving around the level so you can hit them with your sword or shoot a gun at the beasties or whatever it is if you time it right not only are you killing the beastie but you're actually increasing your bonus multiplier until you get it up to 16 and then the vocals kicking in these tracks and it's just a really well it's not for me but it's a really well presented game with quite a novel concept that's quite a cool idea i'd be awful at it because i've got no sense of beat or timing yeah i'm bad at first person shoot first person shooters and i'm bad at you know timing and things like that as well so it's not really for me but i do appreciate it it's the graphics are impressive and just as it would have to be the the way they do the sound in the game is phenomenal so I was just really impressed with, you know, for a free demo to download and check something out, if, if you have the ability to do so, you probably should. Point noted. The second one, which I can't remember, we talked about this before, Chris. Did you ever uh, have a Nintendo 64? No. Did you ever play Goldeneye? No. No. Okay. So at the time of Doom and the rest of it, when they were on PCs, consoles were having their own sort of first-person revolution. And the game that did it was Goldeneye, based on the James Bond film of the same name. And they had four-player on the same screen madness, which was, you know, cheating was rampant because you could see where the other guys who were trying to kill were on the screen or on the level. And this free demo is just a sort of a modern recreation of, of, of Goldeneye. And it's a pit. it makes me think how bad Goldeneye must have been back in the day, actually. I was willing to put up with it, even though I had Doom on the PC. But it's, it's quite nostalgic. It's got the same sort of look about it. You move around the same way. There's auto-aim. There's all sorts of bits and pieces within it. The movement with a mouse particularly really weird. I think you'd want to play it with a controller. But interesting to see somebody trying to do that kind of thing and that sort of retro look to a game to bring it up to date. Bang up to date, actually, considering the PCs and things that we play on these days. It does look kind of cool, but it definitely looks of an era, doesn't it? It's super retro. So that was the other one. And then the last one, which is just a slightly crazy game and another first person shooter, you can tell these things are sort of in, very much in vogue at the moment, has the best name of a game I think I've come across and it's called Angerfoot. And actually Angerfoot tells you all it needs to do for, for the game because you just run around kicking people, basically. It's 10 levels. The idea is to get through them as quickly as possible. Your special move is you kick them. The graphics are very over the top. It's sort of dinosaurs and things you're kicking with purple blood and, and all the rest of it. But it's actually like a first-person shooter version of a game called Hotline Miami, which was just, I'd call it a Twitch game. You, you, you It reloads instantly when you die. The, the goal is really to do it as quickly as possible rather than as well as possible. So very, very interesting. And again, I'm not giving anything away. If you play through the 10-level demos, you get to take down a helicopter by kicking it. And you don't get to see that in many games. So I, in the show notes, I'll put a little link to a video by a streamer called Jack Frags, who sort of walks you through the first 10 levels. If you're into that kind of thing, it's worth a look. And certainly if it's free and you've got a PC and you can play it on, it's worth downloading and having a, a play with it. It's, it's quite a crazy game. 
Yeah, okay, sorry, I was just checking out a bit, a bit of Steam. I know very little about what's on Steam. It does look a bit crazy. I've not heard of any of these games. so But they are kind of my thing. I do quite enjoy a shoot. I don't know why. Certainly my son playing Uncharted, he just wanted to do the shooty bits, to be fair. So I can see him being quite a gamer when he's older. Yeah, I just I thought it was worth putting them in there for if anybody is interested and wants to check them out because they're free. There's nothing, no harm done if you have a PC or, or a Mac in boot camp and you're able to actually run them. And none of them are particularly demanding, I don't think. Hellsinger may be a little bit more. But the thing I was, as I was doing this, and I've, I've been playing a little bit of Apex Legends Mobile on my iPad as well, that made me think is, we've got Apex Legends Mobile on the iPad and it's a pretty faithful recreation of, of the, the Xbox, the PlayStation, the PC version of the game. Why can't we have that on the Mac then, if it runs so well on my 2018 iPad? Well, isn't that where Apple's going with some of the stuff they announced at WWDC with Metal 3 and some other Metal 3 stuff they've got for upscaling, where they could take 1080p content and scale it, and they're touting how quick all their chips are and the graphics processing. So are we on the cusp of something big going to happen in games? Don't know. Are Apple going to release a VR gaming headset? Don't know. But it does feel like they're they're trying to win back the gaming world, aren't they? I hope so. But it would be great to see next year or the year after when the next the next fe- Steam Next Fest comes out that some of these games actually run on the Mac as well, and I can make some recommendations on there. I remember when Steam first came out on the Mac, and there was so much promise, and it's never really come to that much, has it? Sadly. No, it is a bit of a shame, and they've done so much with Linux. I mean, at some point we'll get the Steam. I'll get my Steam Deck, and we'll be able to talk about that. And who knows, you might get your uh, your play date. Your what's it called again? Play, play date, play date. Which I'm hoping is going to ship at some point. Some point. Will they ever do Steam on the iPad? That's the question. Well, I guess they've got to look at how the how the success of these things. I mean, it's probably interesting. That it's EA that owns the rights to Apex Legends. If that does quite well, and they can sell their Game Pass and all the rest of it. Why would they go back through Steam? In fact, Apple won't let them go through Steam, will they, at the moment? Unless there's a change in the way Apple will let you distribute things. Things like Xbox Games Pass or or Steam just can't be sold that way. It's why Epic are fighting with them in court at the moment anyway. So they can't, and why would they if they're getting the money? They're paying the 30% to Apple for the 10 quid you give them for the Games Pass, then, you know, why would they? I would love to have Steam on my iPad because there's lots of Steam out there. I don't need to buy any more devices. I've got too many devices. Yeah, and again, playing Apex Legends on the iPad has made me think, gosh, you can do a lot with this little thing. And it would be really nice on your M1 iPad, I'm sure, with it, because I'm getting little bits of glitches, I'm getting this, that, and the other thing. I'm struggling for a bit of of storage space for downloading those maps, as we were talking about earlier. It would be an improvement. Yeah. Well, let's see. You never know. Apple have made bigger bigger changes, so maybe, maybe this is the year. We will see. We're going quite we're going quite long this week, Chris, so I think we should maybe do a sort of shortened main show. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Good stuff. Okay, I, I thought this week we could maybe talk a little bit about home networking and, and what we're doing to sort of get the internet that we're talking to everybody with today, but how we get it around our house, what your approach to that is, how you found it, you know, just things of that nature. Okay, so that sounds a good idea. And I've recently just upgraded mine just, just a smidge. So... I don't know, about a year ago, I bought a bunch of Eros, which are now owned by Amazon, and you can buy like a pack of three. And you've got to be careful which ones you buy. So they've got like a consumer one, which is the small small ones, and they've got pro units. And I've actually only got the consumer ones, and I found them to be amazing. So originally I started off, I've, I've got three or four in the house. I've got one down in my shed. I have 
after an Ethernet to my shed, and they just mesh together. So they just create one network. So wherever you are in my house, they just talk to each other. And one of them is plugged into the main internet. And then the internet is delivered through my BT-provided router. BT's my, my provider here. So the internet comes into the house through my BT router and then into my main Eero, which they call the gateway. And then it goes off to all the other Eros because they're all close enough to talk to each other. What I then managed to do over the last six months... So I got one question. Okay, sorry, Chris, to, to interrupt you before I get two questions. What's the difference between the pro one and the consumer one? The pro one has MIMO, so it will do more streams at once where you use more devices and it can have more bandwidth available. But I've actually never really found the need for that because my main devices I Ethernet in, so I'm plugging them in with a cable. So like my PlayStation, my Apple TV, my iPad down in the shed. So I've never really need that extra throughput, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, and then the set. So, is there what's the price differential between those then? How much are you paying for it? Quite a lot, really. So, like the the depends on the sale Amazon are doing at any given point. I do recommend waiting for a sale, but the the consumer based euros are sort of like a hundred pounds, whereas the pro one is more like one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy pounds, and then the new pro one's more like two hundred and fifty quid. So they bought a new one. Interestingly, the really new one doesn't do HomeKit integration for some reason. They've stopped doing that, whereas the, the previous two generations did. I don't know what that does or doesn't do, but the only thing I noticed when I got my Logitech webcam, I could go into HomeKit and just go no restrictions, whereas other HomeKit devices, you can go, you're restricted, don't go off and do anything kind of thing. Which is a really nice setup. No, that's good. Okay, so last question, which, which is a point of clarification as well. Your internet comes into the house and you've got your one in the shed extended with an Ethernet, Ethernet cable from the house to the shed. So you've got a solid connection between the two of them. The rest of them just run off the mesh network. So in old school money, that no, go on. They used to run off the mesh network and they'd use a back, what you call the back, back call, call to transmit to each other. But actually what I managed to do is Ethernet all of them in. So the whole house has got etherneted in aero base stations and so actually you get a really good back call between them and you're hardwired in in essence to the, the internet so what's the mesh network actually doing for you once they're all etherneted together well the joy is because they're etherneted together though you can move between any one of the base stations you don't know you're changing base stations because you're just on one wi-fi network right okay I'll hold that thought and keep going sorry so great right. Eero no, no, you're yeah, asking okay. me questions and then what Eero did with the Eero 6 and newer is enable PPOE which is basically allows you to take out your BT router and plug your Eero straight into the internet and so you can remove a device off your network so what I managed to do a couple of weeks ago is that very step so I bought one of the new Eero 6s because I had the previous Eero generation swapped it out for my gateway one and was really simple just went replace my main gateway one with this new one plugged it in waited made sure everything worked and then i unplugged my bt router and plugged the internet straight into zero waited five minutes it sorted itself out and i'm off to the races so they've really made that whole networking experience a piece of cake and i would love to go and buy the new ones but they're just so expensive it's actually put me off it and the internet i'm getting is fine and like i say all my critical devices i've ethernet in because just to be on the safe side, and I want want to get the bits to, to the device quicker to download, which is basically my iPad and occasionally my Mac, because I'm downloading OSs to it or films and things. But just super impressed how easy it is. But the whole house is covered in these zeros, and my shed down the garden's got one. So if anybody comes over, they can go go on my internet 
and it just works throughout the house blanket coverage and where i've had an extension and got some thick walls they actually work really well just to just to cover that off but great product really sup the thing i will say is some of the packs on amazon's website come with one that's got ethernet ports in and then two other extenders which don't have any way of plugging in the ethernet so you for me, I made sure I bought ones with only Ethernet jacks on so that I can extend by cabling them in, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Okay, so it's it's kind of a one-stop solution at the point you've got it to with Amazon. That you, you buy a number of devices. You have to be quite careful about the devices you buy. So for the sake of £500 from the sound of it, thereabouts, you've got a router, you've got units, which will give you the single Wi-Fi in the house. The extension units also have Ethernet ports on them as well, so you can sort of plug in devices when you're remote, or do they not? yeah yeah what speed yeah, sorry do you... i was just checking the price of what these things I, i'm just get i'm just sort of get, i'm guessing from from what you said there you've replaced a couple of them over time but for about 500 quid you've got your whole house covered in wi-fi you're very happy with the performance of it it works very well you've got the option to ethernet things and how many devices would you say you're supporting then oh i've no idea lots lots let's <laughs> go with lots <laughs> i don't know it must be like 30 or 40 devices by the time you add up all your home kit stuff yeah, various Apple TVs, your iPads, the phones, the laptops, the consoles, just Kindles. There's loads on here and I've never had a problem with it. But it just delivers really good quality and I've never got any black spots. I do have about four of the things in the house. So I've got really good coverage. I even put one up in the loft to cover the upstairs floor and I wanted them out the way. And that's quite the nice thing with them. They're quite small little devices, but no, just, just really good. And a nice mobile app just to use. You can even have guest, guest Wi-Fi on it, which I turn off because I just, I don't want loads of SSI, SSIDs in the way because all my family, I just join onto my network. We don't actually get that many guests in this day and age because of COVID. So I mean, if they come over, they could, they could go on the Wi-Fi if they want. But it's just really nicely done, really simple. And I'm really happy to be able to remove my BT router. That's nice. It's, it's good to be a bit more seamless there. So the white, I'm, I'm just digging in at the details on this. You don't run sort of various different things like I do. Like, you know, the, you, you'll occasionally buy a device like my garage door opener that still demands an older standard of Wi-Fi. Oh, it does all that. It does the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. So it does 802.11b, which is the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. It does 802.11g, presumably as well, which is 54 meg, uh, that. And then from the sound of it, you've got 802.11n, which is 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. Or have they got the new AC standard for, for Wi-Fi 6, as I think they call it these days? Yeah, so the Eero 6 is doing Wi-Fi 6, basically. Right. So I've got one Eero 6, which is the one I plug into the internet, because it's that one or newer. And then I've just got what they call just regular Eero's doing the rest of, rest of the access right. points. I'd love to upgrade them, but I actually, just because I want the new tech, but actually I probably wouldn't get any benefit in it. And I've got a gigabit internet coming into the house. Yeah, fair enough. No, it sounds fairly comprehensive. I mean, I, I'll talk through mine, which is a little more complicated. Uh, so we've got sort of the simple approach and the slightly more complicated approach. I just, what I want to say was just really impressed with it. And I do wonder whether Eero were trying to get bought by Apple and not Amazon, because when you open the box, it just felt like a Amazon a Apple premium experience. Just really nice kit. And do you know what Eero's do have? USB-C. So that's how they get their power. But just a really great product, really easy to use, great little app. And I barely touched the app because it just, kind of works and you even do secure plus as this as their subscription service where it can do some various protections and malware things and what have you but just great and you can group devices together so i group my kids devices together and you can have them stop going on the internet at a certain time of the day just nice little things like that you can get usage reports if you want you know i can see what my throughput is and all of that but just a great all-round product and it's nice to see 
somebody do some really good engineering, package up the hardware and the software, and it just all works really seamlessly. And what got me is I swapped out the main gateway one and it, I just literally plugged it in and it just worked. And it was, I don't know, it just messed with my mind a little bit how well they made it. And look, last week, just for a bit of clarity, I downloaded 118 gigabytes of data and I uploaded 13.7 gigabytes of data all through these zeros, just cracking bit kit. I'm glad you like it. I mean, I think my hesitation with stuff like that is because Amazon have it and I'm a bit dubious about, you know, what the, what fingers they have in that particular pie. Yeah, I get it, but I don't know. For me, it just won out. Interestingly, my Apple TV downloaded 32 gig of data last week. Yeah, well, I guess if you watch many things, then uh, then you're going to have that, aren't you? That's my children, I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd blame them. That sounds reasonable. So, and just to differentiate for any listeners that sort of aren't into this world, because I suspect what most people do is they use the box that they get from the person who they've got their internet with. So it'll be a it'll be a BT box, or it'll be an EE box, or it'll be whatever the Sky one is. What I can't even remember what the Sky one's called these days. I don't know Sky. I, yeah, Sky, why not? Like, you know, whatever it is, you'll get a branded piece of plastic with four, if you're lucky, four Ethernet ports on the back, one that plugs into the phone line, you'll turn it on, your Wi-Fi comes through that, and that's the end of it. And if you're somewhere on the other end of the house, you might have put in a place what would have been called a Wi-Fi extender at one point. Chances are it's not a mesh network. So when you put one of these extenders in the place, it sort of halves the, the connection speed around your house. So most people's experience of their Wi-Fi around their house is quite damaged, I'd say, unless you happen to be for Wi-Fi, at least, near the box where it comes into the house. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's fair. And that's why I wanted to get get the areas in, because I've got such good internet coming into the house. You then don't want to just lose half of it immediately. And that's why I've spent a little bit of money on putting these devices in. But again, trying to keep it quite simple. And it's why I want to take out the BT box, because you, I don't really want to go into the technicals, but you're doing one set of IPs from the BT box, and you do another set of IP addresses on the Aero network and what they call your double natting to do the translation. And it's just nice just to just remove that little bit of complexity out. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, I get why you've done it. And then going for a mesh network, it stops that bit I'm talking about, about the internet connection speed dropping for those other devices. So you can put those, they're not repeaters at this point. They're, they're more full featured with that than that. You get the full internet connection speed right through the mesh network as opposed to losing sort of the performance. And there's other things as we're talking about. You've got potentially multiple SSIDs, et cetera, et cetera, that's going on that's potentially causing things and it's less to interfere, get interfered with your microwave or whatever else is going on. And if it's sort of critical data like you've got to your shed down there, which again, you've put a cable in place to deal with. You kind of want that bandwidth and to get the most out of your fast internet connection. So I understand the upgrade from sort of the basic bog standard package that most people get. Yeah, and the shed's too far from the house anyway. So it had to have done something. Because it would just, you know, even if you just put a Wi-Fi repeater on the corner of the house near the shed, it wouldn't reach the shed. So first world problem to have there. But you know what I quite like as well is, my wife or children have never complained about lack of internet or any performance issues. It just, it has just really worked really well. And even when you firmware upgrade them, it just does it kind of thing. You can do it in the middle of the day. You'll be down for a second while your box reboots, but it's, it's just such a well designed and engineered bit of kit. I really rave about it. Good. No, that's nice. So I how think... does it compare to your world? <laughs> so my world's a little more complicated. I've put in the chat a picture of what it looks like in my main sort of switching cabinet at the moment and the wiring nightmare that it is. It's not as tidy as I'd like it to be, but uh, it gives you an idea of sort of the beginning of the uh, beginning of how this goes. Wow. 
yeah, there's a few more cables in there. Anyway, so what I've got is I have Virgin Media. So you don't have a standard PPoE internet connection and using a phone line that comes in using Virgin's own particular ADSL modem. So there's no getting away from that. You've got to have their sort of termination box to the way that it comes in. But what Virgin do let you do is put it in router-only mode. So all it gives you is an IP address. It doesn't perform as a Wi-Fi hotspot. It doesn't perform in any other way except to give you your sort of hard-bound internet in inbound connection point. So from that inbound connection point, I connect to what's called a Unified Dream Machine Pro. And that is a piece of network equipment. It's a terrible name. Uh, it, it's called a Dream Machine. It's called a Dream Machine. And there's, a, there's a, the, no, no, it's a Dream Machine Pro. There's a, there is a Dream Machine as well, but this is the Dream... So the Dream Machine is the consumer one. This is the Pro one. So similar to Eero then, you've got an Eero and an Eero Pro. Yeah, you do. Uh, and th this is from a, a, a networking company called Ubiquity who do enterprise level networking. And their sort of big selling point is that they're a bit like Apple in one sense. And you were talking about that with Eero. If Apple made enterprise grade equipment, sort of the packaging and the design and the way that the company does their software and everything is next level as far as you're concerned. And if you've ever dealt with Cisco equipment or any sort of enterprise level networking switches, this is in a different league for the software they give you. And generally the software support is amazing. They give you free updates. You know, you can set it to also upload. There's frequent security patches. You don't need to pay a subscription to have security patches and monitoring and you know, all the various sort of threat alerts and things that you'd have with it over time. But just to get back to the point. So this is a eight port sorry, nine port switch. You can use it as a standard switch, gigabit switch on all, across all the port, the, the, the main eight ports, and then your internet can, can go into the ninth port on it as an inbound switch. It also gives you two SFP 10 gigabit ports. So if you had 10 gigabit uh, ethernet or you wanted to connect to another, to another switch in your rack, which I do, I can do 10 gig connection onto the next switch, which gives me the potential to have 10 gig routing around the house in terms of ethernet. 10 gig routing at home. Wow. Yeah, I don't have 10 gig internet, but I but I can route around my, my network at 10 gig to some devices. Obviously, not all my devices support 10 gig, but I have the potential to do so. That's quite cool. I can see 10 gig becoming quite prevalent in the next few years. I would hope so. You think the Mac Studio comes with a 2.5 gig Ethernet port on it. So I just wanted to have a little bit of sort of dependency within what I did there. So that's my router, effectively, is this Unified Dream Machine Pro. But it's a bit more than just a router. So you get all this ability to connect to other kit. What I would say is there's no power over Ethernet, but I'll come at that in a minute. It also has space in it for a hard disk. So if you run what's called Unified Protect, you can put a hard disk in there as well, and it can turn into your, your home security system as well. So you can actually set as big a hard disk as you want to. I've actually only got a fairly small SSD. I've got a one terabyte SSD in there. That's enough for about 18 days of high quality content continuously recorded in the device. It doesn't need to go off anywhere else. I can access it over the internet and it will control the security cameras. So all the various bits of software within that are, are, are sort of fairly serious, you know, I'd say from that point of view. So the way you're describing it, it sounds a bit like Synology in a way in the you can have some storage, you can do some networking, you can do some security cameras. And if you buy everything, I'm guessing on the same brand, it all plays nicely together. It does all play nicely together. And it is a lot more flexible. Well, it's probably not. I'm sure you can dig away at your Eero and get at sort of the networking connections for when, when you want to do, you know, port forwarding, if you wanted to access a server outside of your house, if you wanted to set up your own particular VPN back to it, it gives you all that kind of stuff. 
It does let you do VLANs as well. I don't know if your robot will let you do VLANs. Don't know about doing VLANs. It does do all the port forwarding stuff. The era lets me group devices together so I can say whether it's an entertainment device yeah. and I can give it a profile. Is it my device, my wife's, my children, etc.? Which is quite good just for identifying what's consuming, say, loads of loads of bandwidth. But I do very limited network settings with it, if that makes sense. So I do VLANs, which are virtual local area networks for devices I don't trust, basically. So the Amazon box that's sitting connected to one of the TVs, I don't trust it. So it goes its own VLAN where it can communicate directly with the internet, but not with any of the other devices on my network because who knows what they're sending back to Amazon. My paranoia comes out here. And this is true for the garage door opener, and this is true for when I plug in a new TV or whatever else. I don't want them to have any of it. They talk to the internet, fine, to get your software updates and all the rest of it, but I don't want you chatting to my network attached storage or any other things on my network. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I can understand why you'd want to do that. Yeah, so that, that gives me that. I do run multiple SSIDs, so I've got the main house network. And then I've got a guest network, which you actually get a nice little captive portal, like when you visit in a hotel and you can log in and it says you get three hours free internet and then you get kicked off. I do that as well. They've got their own network and password. It doesn't connect to my main network. You know, it, it's just quite a nice way. Of, and I don't need to do anything, you know, from that point of view. I checked a couple of boxes. I gave them a password. I tell them what they, and with my kids' friends coming around all the time, that works out really well. I don't need to share my main Wi-Fi password with everybody in the house. Yeah, I can see as as my children get older and their friends turn up with devices they don't at the moment, that I would want the guest network for that. Yeah, so that's quite useful. So that's what it gives me software-wise, and that's updated fairly continuously. It'll turn itself off or reboot itself about five past midnight if there's nothing particularly going on in the network. Apply a software patch and off you go. You're off to the races again and sort of maintains everything else that's on there. It's connected then to a second switch, a 24-port power over Ethernet switch, which lets me power the wireless hotspots, of which there are, I think, seven at the moment dotted around the house. I have an old house that's got very thick walls. Getting Wi-Fi connections through it is a problem, which is why I run all this in the first instance, to unify AP hotspots, all of which are 802.11n, sorry, 802.11ac hotspots, MIMO. They cost 64 quid a hotspot. That's good which is good. So they're not particularly expensive to provision new ones, and you can go and spend an awful lot of money on them. But you can get them in a variety of formats. So you can get one that's a th sort of a thin tower, so you can hide it behind a curtain. You can get them that go into a sort of a standard double socket, UK double socket with a front port on it. So you can put it down on, on skirting board level so it doesn't look like you've got a hotspot in the room. Or you can make them look like the more sort of traditional flying saucer one that sort of sits in at the ceiling if you've got, if you've got drops through your ceiling. So does this mean they're partner friendly? They're very partner-friendly. And you could even get skins to put over the top of them to blend in with particular decor if you particularly want to. That's quite neat, because I spent quite a bit of time, like I said, I put one up in the loft, you know, on the, uh, on the you know, above the bedroom, so that all the bedrooms have good signal, because I was thinking when the children are older, they've got devices. But also, I didn't really want it, like, on the landing or in our bedroom, you know, kind of want the tech out of the way. So I think it's quite important. It is. And again, just to bring it back to the power over Ethernet, you're, they're all powered from the switch. So I don't need to run secondary power cables or anything to them. As long as I've got the Ethernet port that goes in at the back of them, they're running off the power off that. Yeah, I could do with that. That, that does sound quite good because I do run power to them. Um, luckily, when I had my shower put in, I had a double socket pull up there so I could plug a router in in the roof. 
Yeah, so I don't need Sorry, to do that. An access point, not an, an access point. So that, that that's that's kind of the way that works. But it also then extends to the cameras you know, as part of it as well. They're an overpower Ethernet too. You get internal and external ones, which is quite nice. The external ones are all waterproof and all the rest of it. You can get them in different sort of resolutions. But then you can also get external access points too. So they make weatherproof access points. So if I want to get internet over to my garden, I can put one on the outside of the house, power over ethernet, one cable, external cable, boom, and you're good to go. And it's all managed in one console. Yeah, that's quite cool. It's got a lot of nice features. It's not cheap. And just I've been looking as you were talking about your throughput. So in the last month... I have transferred 1.43 terabytes of data in, and I'm currently supporting 74 clients over the last over the last month. Wow! And I guess this shows where you've got an older children than I have. Just the sheer quantity of data you're shifting is so much more than me. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's a pretty serious set of devices, but again, I don't get complaints about the Wi-Fi anymore. And I used to, when I was running sort of more ad hoc solutions, I thought, no, no, this is worth spending a bit of time on, actually, to actually figure this out and sort it, and give it room to grow for the future. Yeah, and that's kind of where I ended up. I just wanted to put something in that covered that whole house. There would be no dropouts. We've got loads of devices. We're consuming a huge amount of 4K content. How can I get that around the house? Never have to deal with it ever again. And I'm glad I've spent the money. I'm super pleased with it. But it is worth doing and doing it properly, I think. Yep, I agree. Yeah, so that's pretty much my Wi-Fi setup, really. That there's a fair bit of hardware and Ethernet and, and moving things around. But again, you know, both of us have wound up in a place where it's bulletproof so far, touch some wood and all the rest of it, but certainly hasn't gone down in the last two weeks. I've got 100% uptime for the last two weeks and 14 days. So, you know, I'm not complaining from that point of view. Yeah, and I think we're both looking for the same thing. We both want to not degrade the performance of the internet coming in and, and deliver as much as we can out because we've got modern modern devices on the end. We both want our families not to complain, but we also want a good solution that, that we're comfortable with. It's, I guess, A, secure, and B, does what we need. Yeah, and just sort of a last thought on this before we call it a show. I'm, just, I'm looking to see the other networks that are around at the moment that it's picked up. And it's picked up, I'm not in the busiest part of the town that we live in, there are 39 other potential hotspots around me at the moment. And there's things on here like Audi MMI 4457, Coda, VLAN, WLAN. You know, so this Wi-Fi is now built into everything. And that network contention is not going to get any better. And I think investing in something that's a little bit more robust than what your provider gives you is actually money well spent in the long run. I'm in my shed and I can't see any other Wi-Fi networks. Well, they're out there. <laughs> No, I'm sure if I go to the house, like you, I'll be picking up cars and my neighbours. But you're right, and you just you don't want all that getting in the way of, of your network. You want it to be able to perform. Yeah, it is important. It is important. And, you know, getting that balance of things, looking around. I mean, I used to see lists of, of devices like this when I'd go to conferences, and you'd see people's phones on, and you'd see all this stuff going on. But this is just a quiet street in a residential area. It's crazy to me how, how, how congested their, our networks are becoming. I know where you live, and I'm surprised that you're picking up that many networks, especially with those thick walls you've got. I've got really, really, really good networking equipment these days. Yeah, like I say, I think it's a quality of life improvement if you can afford to do it. It's like when you buy a printer, get a good printer, because you don't want to go wrong while the family trying to print something off or scan a picture. It's frustrating. But I'm on board. I think that's it's interesting how we've, we've come at it from different angles, though. 
It is, and it's actually the moral of the story, I think, for why we've probably ended up with Apple products and using them as much as we do. It is worth spending a little bit more for something that's going to do the job reliably over a longer period of time. Because you and I have both fought with PCs and, and variety of devices over the years, and we've tried to do it on the cheap. And sometimes that's fine, it works quite well, but not 100% of the time. And not if you want to ha don't want to have to go back and fiddle with it every five minutes. And that's that's been the thing for me, is the learning that it is worth spending a little bit of time and money investing in it and getting it done right, rather than just getting it done quick. Yeah, I completely agree. You want it right. You want it, like I say, I don't be down here podcasting with you. My wife's going, oh, the internet's not working or I can't get on this device because nobody wants to do IT support at home. No, they don't. No, they don't. Although we still end up doing it to a certain extent, but not in the same way we used to. <laughs> no, life's very different then. It is very different. That sounds like a show to me, Chris. Yeah, I think I think we're at the end now. It was good. Sorry we went a bit long. No problem at all. We'll, we'll see what we can do with that. Brilliant stuff. Well, we'll talk to you next week. And yep, same again next week. And if anyone wants to reach out, do drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or on Twitter, WFS underscore podcast. Look forward to hearing from people. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Rod. <laughs>